passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Listen to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com. It's on the beat with Greg Barnes, the best North Carolina beat writer in the business. And it's just me and Greg tonight. No Ross, no Gregory Hall. Ross off Gregory with some technical difficulties that prevent him from being here. So, Greg, um, it's sort of weird to be doing this podcast talking about the ACC tournament and Carolina being the last seed. I mean, I understand it. I've watched the season from start to finish. I've seen what they've done. But still... To wrap your head around Carolina being dead last in the ACC going into the ACC tournament, something of a novelty. Uh, you know, it's, it's still hard to grasp, but here we are. Yeah, and it's funny, Tommy, because if, if you go back just a couple weeks, uh, really after the, you know, after the first Duke loss, which was just heartbreaking, and then they show up in Wake Forest three days later and just get embarrassed at that point, you know, they're three and 10 in the ACC. And I don't think anybody expected any, any reason for hope um, the rest of the season. And yet what happens, you games against Virginia, Notre Dame, they probably should have won, but they played very well in those games, but lost the last second Uh, Louisville. I think you give them a free pass and Garrison went not there. And then they kind of get on a run. And I thought they played well in Durham on Saturday night and then just kind of fell apart again there in the, the last 10 minutes when, when State got hot. State got hot. When, when Duke got hot. Um, and State so I think didn't this get is, hot. No, that's right. I was thinking <laughs> Duke did to State, did to Carolina what they did to State a, a few days earlier. Um, but I think the kind of the mindset and the belief in this team has changed dramatically since that Wake Forest game in the sense that uh, there was no hope really then that North Carolina could actually enter the ACC tournament and feel good about their chances of winning a couple games, you know, not, not talking about winning the whole thing. Uh, so, yeah, it is a little weird that, that they are the 14th seed and they do have to play on Tuesday. But I, I think most people, I mean, even, even non-UNC fans, you're just talking with people in the media – uh, at Cameron Indoor on Saturday, they think North Carolina can win some games in the ACC tournament. And you know, Dean Smith taught it, and Roy Williams uh, followed suit. And you build momentum once you get into a tournament. And I don't think it would surprise me. I, I haven't asked you about it, Tommy, but 
I suspect North Carolina will be playing on Thursday. Uh, it is a tall ask to advance much further than that. But at least if you get to Thursday, you've got some momentum, uh, you're feeling good about yourself, and, and maybe you can make things interesting. And uh, I think because of the way they closed, which is relatively strong, I think there is reason for, for optimism for, for North Carolina fans, at least early in the week. Yeah, looking at the – I was just glancing at the ACC overall standings. I mean, it, you know, if Carolina had any sort of luck this year or any breaks at all, um, not of the injury kind, they'd easily be in the top five or six. Uh, I yeah. mean, you, you look at six and 14, um, you know, if they win three more games – they're tied with Clemson. If they win four more games, they're in that wash with State, Syracuse, and Notre Dame, which p- would put them up to the fifth seed. I mean, for that reason, I think Carolina's got an opportunity to advance. I do agree with you that having Louisville sitting there on Thursday, potentially on Thursday, is not ideal for this North Carolina team. Um, but just uh, against a team like Virginia Tech, the one thing that's concerning, and, and maybe you can clarify it for me a little bit and for our listeners, is Virginia Tech likes to shoot it. So if they get hot, Carolina could struggle. But I look at Virginia Tech, and they're nothing but mediocre. And Carolina should have beat them. Something about overtime games in Blacksburg this year. Uh, but <laughs> but when you play without your senior leader and your, your point guard, you know, to Carolina's credit, it was even in overtime. So it's just a weird dynamic of this ACC. I've never seen the conference as this mediocre as they've been. Have you? Oh, I agree with you on that. I mean, that, there's no no doubt about it. And to your initial points there about how close North Carolina is or was to being in the upper echelon, North Carolina lost five games in which they held a double-digit lead in the second half. So if you just hold on in those games, now you're talking about a team that's 11 and nine, and you know, it's probably the, the number five seed in the ACC tournament, and they're probably, well, given the status of the ACC right now, maybe they're not a lock for the NCAA tournament, but they're pretty close, and um, that's that's something. Yeah, the Virginia Tech situation, uh, they made 14 three pointers against UNC up in Blacksburg, and that ended up kind of being the uh, the the end of it for the, for Carolina. That's how Virginia Tech hung around, and then North Carolina because they were just you know, lacking in bodies. I mean, they have four guys, I believe, played at least forty five minutes. They just ran out of gas in that second overtime period. Um, and Virginia Tech's really struggled of late. I mean, they, I think they've lost eleven of uh, their last thirteen games since that North Carolina game, which is kind of crazy. The only teams they've beat were were Pitt and Clemson at home. And I think the, the the main reason for that is while they do shoot very well from three, you know, connecting on 35.5% of their attempts, uh, they're one of the top three-point takers in the nation. But they're just tiny. And that's where I was a little bit surprised Carolina didn't do a better job taking advantage of that. Uh, but just looking, you know, if you look at their – their top six lineups used. Landers Nolly is the biggest guy they have, and he's six seven. So they're playing. Not only are they playing a small lineup in terms of four guards, 
I mean, even their center is essentially a small forward. And uh, I know Armando Baycott's been banged up a little bit, but him and Garrison played well in, in Durham. And so if North Carolina can just dominate the boards there, that, that should make you feel pretty good about UNC's chances on Tuesday night. Yeah, they uh, Garrison's got to have big games in this ACC tournament. And, you know, you've watched him progress, and we hadn't really talked about it. Um, like maybe Dewey and I or Sherelle and I have talked about it. His progression over the course of the season, we've seen big jumps from guys from junior to senior year. You know, the old saying is, you are what you are. By the time you're a junior, well, Meeks and Bryce Johnson proved that's not the case. And Garrison this year, and, you know, I, I don't know if it's just me, and I don't know if he's building numbers against mediocre teams, um, but I don't think so. I think this guy, the, the, the switch has flipped for him when he's realized he's got to be the guy or one of the guys. Um, just talk about his play that you've seen up close this season and how important he is um, starting on Tuesday night for Carolina to, you know, sort of steal a up-the-road quote, survive in advance. Well, I think that the big thing for Garrison Brooks, as odd as this may sound, was when Cole Anthony got hurt. Because even up while Cole was playing, Cole was, was kind of dominating the ball. It was such a f- focal point that Garrison had some good games, especially you know, the first couple weeks of the season. But it, I don't want to say he was passive, but he very much was deferring to Cole and even some of his teammates, trying to get everybody involved, not wanting to uh, attempt to take over. But once Cole got hurt, he had no choice, and it was forced upon him. And then something just kind of clicked with him, and he understood that, wait a minute, I can do this. Like, I've got the skill set where I can. And that really speaks to his offseason efforts. We've known he's a great defensive player. He really proved that last year because they didn't need him to score. It's not that he came in with kind of a a great uh, reputation as being an offensive player. That was never it. But in talking with everybody around the program this offseason, and even with Garrison, you know, his, his focus was on, all right, I've got to make that 15-foot jumper out, out front. I've got to do that consistently. I've got to develop a couple post moves because I really lacked in that regard last year. And that's what Roy told him in their offseason meeting last April. And give him a ton of credit because he worked on it. And watching him the last few weeks, he can go left, he can go right, he's got a good drop step. He can make those jumpers out front that forces teams to kind of come out to him. Uh, he, he's got a little bit of, uh, you know, he can dribble once or twice to make a move and get to the rim. Yeah, it's just been phenomenal. And it's, I think it's really one of those things where he had worked on it so much that he kind of had it in there, but he didn't show it necessarily early. And then when it was like, all right, it's do or, do or die time. If you don't play well, Carolina is going to get embarrassed because Cole Anthony is not on the court. And he accepted that and has just been fantastic. And so uh, I have seen a lot of development over players over the years. You mentioned Kennedy, you mentioned Bryce. I don't know that I'm, I've been more surprised than how Garrison has done. Uh, he's, he's proven to be a very good leader for this team, but what he's done offensively is, has just been uh, mind boggling. I mean, like with Bryce, for example, there was never a question about Bryce being a great offensive player. His was all effort. 
And Kennedy was kind of the same way. And so to your point, Tommy, you know, when Garrison came in, there was never an effort issue with him. It was like, yeah, he's, he's a good defender. He works his butt off. He just does not have the offensive game. And yet he's been able to, to make that work and to you know, manufacture that. And uh, just, just a heck of a close of the year for the young man. Speak to the mental side of it, because I remember we did a podcast, um, and I think Ross commented on his, I don't want to say poor attitude, but the way he was in the locker room post-losses. I mean, he was not someone to be interviewed after losses. And I think that, even though Carolina has struggled, um, has that really changed for him? Granted, you know, it, Losing's one thing. Losing and not playing well is another. Losing and still leaving it out there personally. I mean, that helps with your attitude, I think, a little bit. How has that changed, if it has, for Garrison over the course of the season? Yeah, I think the big thing was when they went up to Virginia Tech, that was the game that he really played his tail off. And he gave it his all. And I think after the game and talking with him, he kind of like was, you know, all we can do is just do the absolute best we can and give it every ounce that we have. And as tough of a loss as that was, I think the guys were proud of how they played. And that means a lot because if you, it wasn't long before that, that Pittsburgh was spanking them in Pittsburgh and Georgia tech was spanking them at the Smith center. And those were some really bad, embarrassing losses. And there's a little bit of finger pointing going on about effort and who wanted it and who didn't. And that's to be expected. But I don't think the guys really, I don't think they knew how to deal with some of the heartache and some of the frustrations there. But yet, after that Virginia Tech game, it seemed like they really settled in. And that's when you know, they blew out Miami and then they went over to, to a Raleigh and Garrison played so well against NC State. So after that three-game stretch, you really saw a, a turn in his uh, mindset. And he's, he's much more aggressive on the court. He, everybody he started looking up to him more as a leader. And, you know, some of that time, I think, when, when Brandon was, was banged up as well. So he was kind of not able to be the, the senior leader that he typically is. And so all this kind of was thrust on Garrison, and he really kind of accepted it. And once, once they got Cole back, they, they had a couple good games there, even though they lost. And uh, even though they got, they got embarrassed at, in Winston-Salem, that was really the, the only one. And then I think also the fact that they go to Louisville, and it is clear what Garrison Brooks means to that team. And I think even that kind of game probably made him say, wow, all right, this, this is something. And so it really, I mean, it's been an evolution for him. He's really done it in a matter of like two months. And so, again, uh, just, just a great close of the season. And I, I think it really sets him up for a great senior year next year. Yeah, I think the 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 thing that sets him up, not only his play, but also the realization that winning's not given. And a lot of these guys, especially in North Carolina, and let's be honest, they, they assume they're going to win. You know, I'm going to be on a winning team. It's not a given. So Carolina fans need to look at it that way as too, too as well. And I think this season will show that for most, but I think Garrison realized, like you said, after that Virginia Tech, they did all they could do, and they still lost. Well, that's all you can do, and that's where you see the the maturation of his play, and, and 
his ability to come forward as it not only on the court but off it. It'll be interesting to see how he does his senior year with a lot more help out there. I think, as you say, he's set up for a a very big senior campaign, one that North Carolina will use to sort of get back on track. Let me take a short break, talk about Johnny T-Shirt right fast. Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com, of course. If you're in town in Chapel Hill on Franklin Street, go see them. Got everything you need, Carolina basketball-related, Carolina football, baseball, soccer, anything you want, jersey-wise, whatever you need inside Carolina's sponsors, Johnny T-Shirt, and they will hook you up. If you can't get to Chapel Hill, JohnnyT-Shirt.com, any and everything you could possibly want on there, too. And the best thing about it, if you're inside Carolina Premium subscriber, of course, you get 10% off your everyday order, and they'll ship it straight to your door. Can't beat that. Get on the computer. Buy stuff, comes right to your house. Great invention, this internet thing is. Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Before I get back with Greg, I'm going to take another short break, pay some bills. We'll come back. We're going to talk about Garrison Brooks and these all-ACC teams. I think it's a relevant discussion. We'll hit it when we come back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You deserve the truth. The enemy is at our gates. The fight for humanity. I look at your faces. I do not see defeat. No! And I do not see surrender. It's far from over. You will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New season now streaming. Exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. We're back inside Carolina on the beat podcast. Tommy Ashley here, Greg Barnes, inside Carolina beat writer. Greg, we're talking about Garrison Brooks here, and he wound up second team all ACC. I know that you and the other inside Carolina guys, Ross and Gregory Hall, had him on first team. To be honest, I can't really complain that he's on the second team. I just don't think being the last place team in the league gets you a guaranteed first place selection did he deserve it perhaps maybe but your thoughts on where he wound up ultimately I know you had him first team any other year if Carolina's any any other position than last if they're 10th or 8th or up he's first team lock no doubt but it is what it is this year for Brooks yeah for sure and I think he probably understands that to, to the victor go the spoils. That's kind of always been the case, except for coach of the year. And I was glad to see Leonard Hamilton get it. But, you know, Coach K and Dean Smith and Roy Williams never had a lot of success in that. But, um, yeah, I think I thought he played his way up to first team status. Um, Jordan Ora at Louisville, I think he really kind of dropped off as the season declined uh, although I, you know I still voted him player of the year because Vernon Carey was not available to vote he was my number one pick uh, and then you talk about a guy like Elijah Hughes 
yes, he's put up some good numbers. Uh, just was never really impressed with him in terms of taking over games. And I thought Garrison was able to do that for Carolina some. Did he have some some less than stellar games? Yes, he did. Uh, but he also played very well and, and helped North Carolina be competitive or, or win some games. And those are kind of some of the things I, I look for. But um, like you said, with him, with North Carolina being at the bottom of the rankings, I think people tend to overlook it. But then, you know, I think that's Cole. And pe- people may not like to hear this. I didn't think Cole played uh, up to an all-ACC level this year. I think, number one, when you factor in, he missed so many games, that really hurts. And so to get over that, you've got to have just some some stellar play. And uh, I just didn't see it. But I think because he came in with the name, uh, I, I think that really helped him get some votes from from people uh, at the end of the year. And that's why he ended up 13. So uh, I think you can get you know, two players on on the All-ACC team and you're, you're in last place. I think you take it. But, yes, I, I certainly believe Garrison deserved first team instead of second team. Now, while we're talking, I want to ask you about Cole Anthony a little bit. And I don't disagree um, that he certainly didn't deserve first team by any means. I mean, you got to play the whole season, I think. But he averaged 20 points, uh, six rebounds, and what four assists on the season. Any other year, Greg, again, if Carolina's top three or top four, he's first-team All-ACC with a bang. So do you look at Cole Anthony's season and sort of put – and I'm not trying to put you on spot, but 20, 26-4 is pretty solid. If Carolina's, you know, 12-8 and eight or better in the conference, what do you say about those very same numbers? I think if, if the Cole Anthony that we saw the last, say, three weeks of the season – if he had been healthy and he had reached that point in January, I think he probably would be uh, pushing first team for sure. But I think the the player that he ultimately became uh, is the guy everybody expected. And he I mean, the last couple weeks he's been great, and so give him a lot of credit for that. We just didn't, I didn't see enough out of that throughout the course of the year, and people I think got sick of hearing it, but. Um, he was really kind of operating uh, his own way, and I didn't think within the scope of what Roy Williams wanted to do. And Roy defended him publicly, but as we learned a few weeks ago, Roy finally had to go to him and like, look, I need you to be efficient. I need you to really help the team. Don't take bad shots. I take good shots and help your teammates out. And Cole talked about it. You know, he he had to he had to understand that he could actually trust his teammates. He didn't have to try to do everything on his own. And that's that's what hurts so much about him missing so many games is you work through those things over the course of the season. Tommy, I don't know how many times we talked in the offseason. The team that took the court in November was going to look completely different than the team at the end of the year. But what happens is when you have all these injuries pile up, uh, that really stalls that progression. And so the team that has been playing the last couple of weeks can compete with anybody in the ACC. I have no doubt about that. The problem is they're in a situation now, they have to have everything go their way in order to win five and five. I think it's too much to ask given their depth issues. Um, so the Cole at the end of the year, to put it another way, and people may say this is a cop-out, 
the the, the Cole at the end of the year was playing up to, I don't know, first team, maybe first team, but certainly second team, all ACC level. We just didn't see enough of that over the course of the year uh, for me to, to put him in at third team. Now, I will say, and I told everybody this, going into that Duke game, he really was kind of borderline for me. So it's not like I'm saying he had a, a bad year by any stretch, uh, but the way that he played in the Duke game was kind of the final straw. And okay, I, I just don't think I've seen enough to put him on third team, uh, even though he has played very well down the stretch. It's an interesting discussion. I mean, and Dewey and I talked about it post Duke game. It's sort of the Cole Anthony career at Carolina is going to be like an enigma. I mean, what could yeah. have been? What could have been? Right. Yeah. And how many times have we said that over the course of my lifetime, especially with Carolina in the NCAA tournaments and injuries have derailed seasons and all. So Nasir, Nasir Little last year. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's just, it's so, and obviously it's not just a Carolina thing. Other schools do it. Other teams deal with it. We just don't follow them enough to know, to, to keep up with it, but it, it will be one of those things. Um, that'll be a, a footnote in history rather than, you know, a headline. So let me, let me ask you about um, this ACC voting and a lot of people on the message boards have talked about it. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're not on the inside Carolina message boards, get over there and check out all the discussions. There's some really good discussions about this, but this ACC player of the year stuff, and don't get me wrong. I think Trey Jones is better than people give him credit for. I think, but I think the last 30 seconds and then of overtime against Carolina won him the ACC player of the year. But the fact that you can't vote, I mean, explain the process for us. Teams nominate individual players for the postseason awards. I I don't understand that. Has it always been like that? No. So this, let me give you some background. So the Atlantic Coast Sports Media Association, AXMA is what we call it. Uh, ever since I started doing this, AXMA, if you if you were a member of that group, you got to vote for uh, preseason and postseason All-ACC teams. And with the traditional ACC footprint, you had a lot of media outlets you know, in Virginia, a ton in North Carolina, and then some in Atlanta and South Carolina. And so once the conference expanded and we got to 15 teams, there was a, started to be a lot of chirping from some of the new schools that because so many members of AXMA was within that original footprint, there was a bias towards some of the other teams. And you'll still hear it, you know, people, I think, uh, up in the Syracuse region, they did not expect Elijah Hughes to get first team, even though they thought it was deserving. Because there's a lot of uh, blog posts and articles leading up to uh, Monday morning saying, ah, this is what the team should look like, but it won't because there's not enough media that will support and respect what Elijah Hughes has done. So that's kind of been the mindset for years. So what the ACC decided to do, and they kind of did it uh, under the dark of night, is several years ago they, they scrapped everything. Instead of having a coach's poll and a media poll where you had all these different voters they switched it to where you've got the 15 head coaches and then each school in order to kind of get a, a fair bias, if you will, uh, selects three or four people. I'm not sure what it is right now, 
Uh, and so I think it's, I think it's gotta be four. I think it's the play by play guy and then three media members. So four. So what you end up with is 60 media, 15 coaches, 75 is your total vote. And it's done to be able to spread out things, but included in that. And I don't think I realized this until uh, recently, but we've always had teams push their players. You know, every, I mean, I, I get stuff because I'm on a couple of all American teams. I get stuff from all over the country. Like here, here's our player. He's a, he's all of his stats. He's a great guy, blah, blah, blah. And you do that every single ACC team, I think for, except for Florida state. And I don't know why they don't do it. They send you, here are our best players. Please consider them for your vote, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I did not realize, and this is, this is a new thing, relatively new thing is that schools can nominate who they want for certain awards. And so in this instance, Duke apparently decided if we put Trey Jones and Vernon Carey Jr. up for first team or for ACC player of the year, well, maybe they'll split votes. And if they split votes and enough people vote for somebody else, we may not get anybody in consideration for that. And so what do they do? They put Vernon Carey Jr. up for ACC Rookie of the Year, and they do not make him eligible to be voted upon in ACC Player of the Year. So the kid that got the most votes in the all-ACC team voting, and he got the most by a good margin, you could not vote for him for ACC Player of the Year. You, there, there's no write-in options. You, there's, there's a pool of players that you have to pick from. Uh, and it worked for Duke. Right, I mean, they they were able to uh, get enough votes for Trey Jones to to make it work, but uh, man, and you know, we talk a lot about Roy Williams and kind of the one and done and how bad it looks. I'm a little bit surprised we haven't seen this blow up more in the media. That here's a one and done kid who's going to be a lottery pick, and Duke went out of his way and prevented him from becoming the potential ACC Player of the Year because they wanted. Trey Jones to get more of the votes. That's what we're talking about here. So I don't agree with the process at all. Virginia uh, did not put uh, Dikite up for defensive player of the year. And he's in contention for national defensive player of the year. They put Kihei Clark or Kihei Clark, however you say his name, uh, in that spot instead. So that's another one that's that's worth discussing. discussing but uh, I, I don't like it. I, and I, I kind of voiced my opinion on, on Twitter on Monday. But if you're going to ask us to vote, if you're going to ask the head coaches to vote, I mean, the head coaches, I think Roy Williams is a smart enough guy to say, you know what? I'm going to pick out of all these players in the ACC. I'm going to say who I think is the best player. You are not allowing Roy Williams to do that. Yeah. You're saying, Roy, you know what? We don't think you should be able to pick Kerry. So we're not going to let you. That's, that's BS. That, that's got to change. And so hopefully we can raise enough cane in the off season that that will be corrected. That might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I yep, mean, I agree. it seems like back in the day, the highest vote getter of all ACC teams was a player of the year. I mean, it I, should be that way. Uh, <laughs> uh, that is mind boggling. It just complicates a process that should be pretty daggone. I understand the deal about all the, the, you know, Syracuse and, you know, Miami and those type teams fussing about the concentration of voting in, 
you know, North Carolina, Virginia, South yep. Carolina area. They, were, they weren't wrong. Yeah, they I get wrong. that. They, and they certainly, because, you know, we saw that for years, but the fact that a school has to say which player they want to be eligible for a certain award, it's just dumb. It makes It makes zero sense, but yeah. ACC does some weird things sometimes. That's another one. And the fact that Duke pushed Vernon Carey out of it, not that it's going to affect the kid when he's drafted in the lottery pick, but I thought he was by far the best player in the conference. At least from what I saw, I don't think it was close. But anyway. Advanced metrics had him as the number one guy as well. Yeah, so, I mean, he'll get his uh, awards here in the – national postseason awards i guess but yeah it's not going to affect the money he makes coming up shortly greg acc tournament um you know is it gay last question couple questions for you gauge your interest in this acc tournament uh, i mean like i said maybe it's because carolina's so far down but it just seems like a big bowl of meh going into it you got four teams that are decent I don't think any of those teams are good. Happy for Leonard Hamilton. I think that guy's great. I'm glad that Florida State won the uh, ACC regular season. But beyond that, it's just not – it's got to be the the least in-demand ACC tournament ever. Yeah, and I think that's just a byproduct of expansion. And that kind of hit home for me watching – uh, the Syracuse Miami game on Saturday because if, if Syracuse wins that game like they should have, uh, and I, I'm not sure if it was Virginia or Louisville, whichever uh, needed to win or lose to make it work, but if if Syracuse had won, you're looking at a situation where if Carolina beats Virginia Tech on Tuesday, they play NC State on Wednesday, which would have been awesome, right? <laughs> and then if they win that game. They played Duke on Thursday. And what that really reminded me of is those games had the opportunity of happening a lot years ago before expansion, where you only had, even if you just had the Les Robinson Invitational, you still had the opportunity to see a lot of these games. I mean, Wake, Duke, State, Carolina, Clemson, even Virginia, they were all likely going to play. And it was just that, that, tight-knit ACC that made it so fun. Um, You know, I understand the TV aspect of it. There was nothing that I liked better growing up than Saturday semifinal day at ACC tournament. This is great. And you you do away with that. You make it a Friday night deal to get it on TV. Saturday night is one game. It becomes a, you know, your, your TV spectacular deal. I think that's hurt it. And so, and you're also, we're talking about a game on Tuesday night. Um, and there's a game at 4.30 <laughs> on Tuesday. I mean, come on. Yeah, there's going to be like um, 10 people there. Friends and family. Right. That's right. <laughs> Friends and family. And so I think all those things kind of rolled into to one, uh, puts in that situation. Carolina having a down year clearly plays a role. State, I mean, give state credit that they're fifth, but I don't think anybody thinks that's that's a great state team by any stretch. Uh, Duke's not even a great team. And so ACC as a whole is kind of down. So, yeah, it's just a lot of different things kind of rolled into one. And uh, I hate that for this 
year because this is the last time it's going to be at Greensboro for a while. And uh, it's kind of been a special place for the ACC tournament over the years. Uh, too many times in, in D.C. And, and New York moving forward. But again, it's about the, the TV money and those kind of things. I did find it hilarious. Roy was talking about it the other day and said that when they played in Brooklyn a few years ago, uh, they stroll into the hotel after a game and somebody walks up to him and says, hey, coach, what are you doing here? And Roy <laughs> says, oh, I'm just here to play golf. I brought my players to carry my clubs for me. Uh, and so that's that's kind of the kind of the situation that we're in now. That is a that that's a good one there. Yeah, I, still the 1995 Saturday, the semifinals of that. I think it was Carolina, Maryland, and what Wake Forest, and it was it wasn't Duke? I don't think. I think, it, but it was two four top ten teams if my memory serves. I can't remember, but Rashid versus Joe Smith in Maryland in yeah. '95, and then of course the Randolph Childress game in the finals there after Rashid got hurt. Anyway. Yeah, it's just different. I guess we're just getting old. I'd like to think we're getting <laughs> wiser, but I think we're just getting old. But yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Look forward to your coverage of it. Carolina and Virginia Tech, seven o'clock on Tuesday night. The winner of that, and not only that, the the more Carolina wins, the later you work because they That's play right. it. They play the late game every night. So Carolina, that's another that's another beef of mine, Tommy, is that they've got the they've got the fourth game on Wednesday and Thursday listed at nine o'clock. Yeah. Come on. That's going to be a nine forty five tip at earliest. Yeah. And then even on even on uh, Friday, the third Friday. Right. If they played in, yep. it's going to be another nine thirty long nights. Greg Barnes. I'm Tommy Ashley. You've been listening to Inside Carolina on the beat. We don't have many more of these to do this year, but we'll see what happens in the ACC tournament. Greg, as always, appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.